1. And be removed inserted leaflet each number the illustrated war news. Before posting this issue, complete in itself December 30, 1914. Price sixpence, publishing office, my Inland Post. 172. Strand. Sixpence H.A.L.F.E.N.E. London. W.C. Registered A.S. A newspaper for transmission in the United Kingdom. And to Canada and Newfoundland by magazine post. The Illustrated War News. December 30, 1914. I.I. Players Navy Cut the Tobacco and Cigarettes Illustrated War News for the Troops. Published on Wednesday from all quarters we hear the morning's sixpence. Same simple request, send U.S. tobacco and cigarettes, troops at home duty paid part 12 completed the first volume of the illustrated war it would be well if those wishing news to send tobacco or cigarettes to our soldiers would remember those a handsome still in Great Britain. There are thousands of regulars and territorials awaiting orders and binding cover in sending a present now you are assured of reaching your man. For volume my supplies may be obtained from the usual trade sources and we in half Morocco shall be glad to furnish any information on application. Now ready. To hold 12 parts of this popular publication. Troops at the front duty free price 3 with title page. Post John Player and Sons. Nottingham. Free 3D. Extra. Will through the proprietors for export. The British American ore can be obtained through all tobacco company limited be pleased to news agents and railway bookstalls. Arrange for supplies of these world-renowned brands to be the complete volume. Beautifully forwarded to the front at duty bound in half Morocco. Price 10-6 free rates. John Player and Sons. Castle Tobacco Factory. Publishing Office, 172. Nottingham. Strand. W.C. Editorial Office, Milford Lane. Strand. W.C. Page 438 Branch of the Imperial Tobacco Company of Jimmy. Britain and Ireland. Limited. The Illustrated War News, December 30, 1914 Part 21 1 The Illustrated War News, Illustration, Photo, Crib 1 of the British ships which sank von Espiei's squadron off the Falklands, the battle cruiser, Invincible, to the Illustrated War News, December 30, 1914, Part 21 The Great War, in reviewing the events of the last week throughout the worldwide area of war, let us begin with the Dark Continent where everything went in our favor very brilliantly so, first of all, then, we may now be said to have completed our conquest of the German Cameroon country by taking possession of the whole of the railway which runs northward from Bonabri, and is now in the hands of our troops. A similar fate is reserved, at no distant date, for German South Africa, against which General Bothy a man no less brave and dashing as a soldier than sagacious as a statesman is preparing to a league a conquering force. Having stamped out the rebellion within the Union itself crushing it literally like a beetle he is now addressing himself to the task a harder one, perhaps, but still certain of achievement of making an end of the bad neighborhood of the Germans in the vast region forming the hinterland of Luderitz Bay, which is already in our possession, and rendering it impossible for them in the future to intrigue from that quarter against the peace and stability of the Union, the court-martialing and prompt execution at Pretoria of the rebel leader, Captain Forey shows what the Union government is minded to do poor Dacrigarel's otters. The rebellion was promptly and energetically suppressed though not without a Union loss of 334, including more than 100 deaths, while in German South Africa, the casualties had also risen to a total of some 370. The rebels had more than 170 killed, over 300 wounded, and 5,500 prisoners which was thus a very creditable bit of work, as brilliant as it was brief. 
in the rounding up of rebels against the unity of the empire. Illustration, spokesman of French determination, MVIVIANI, Premier of France, at the opening of the French chamber on the 22nd, MVIVIANI, the Premier, expressed the national resolve to continue the war till the cause of the Allies is won. Photo, topical, illustration, appointed commander-in-chief at the Inouye, Admiral C.A.L.L.A.G.H.A.N. Admiral Sir George Callaghan was commander-in-chief of the Home Fleet from 1911 till the war began. He has since been on the war staff at the Admiralty. Photo. Heath. Quite of a piece with the doing of this job in South Africa was the disposal of another overt enemy against our authority at the other extremity of the Dark Continent in the person of the Khedive. Abbas I. Who has now been replaced by Prince Hussein Kamal Pasha as the nominal Sultan of Egypt under our protection and power. No change of the kind was ever brought about with so much statesmanlike wisdom and such little friction, or with so much hearty approval from all sides except, of course, that of the Turks and their German backers, for whom the change of regime, effected as it was by a simple stroke of Sir Edward Grey's masterly pen, was a most painful slap. The exchange of messages between King George and Prince Hussein one promising and failing support, and the other unfailing allegiance completed the transaction one of the greatest triumphs of British statesmanship, compared with which the recent statecraft of the Germans is mere amateur bungling. Marshal von der Goltz Pasha, who has now exchanged his governorship of Belgium for the position of chief military councillor on the Bosphorus, will find it harder than ever with his rabble army under Jamal Pasha to liberate from the British yoke the people of Egypt, who have already shown that they no more yearn for such emancipation than our loyal fellow subjects in India. At Constantinople it was given out that the Masudia, sunk by one continued overleaf. Illustration, German praise of the British soldier, General von Heringen, interviewed recently. General von Heringen said, the English first-line troops are splendid soldiers, experienced and very tough, especially on the defensive. Photo, Bain, The Illustrated War News, December 30th. 1914 Part 21 Three Christmas celebrations in the Navy were naturally curtailed this year, but even in time of war the festival is observed to some extent, under the limitations caused by the necessity of being ready for immediate action. That the Navy did not allow Christmas festivities to interfere with duty is shown by the brilliant air raid on Cuxhaven on Christmas morning, the Grand Fleet which keeps its silent watch on the seas, under Admiral Jellicoe, did not, we may be sure relax any of its vigilance. One of the Christmas customs in the Navy is to decorate the mastheads with holly, mistletoe, or evergreens. The mess room tables are also decorated, and the officers walk in procession through the messes, the captain sampling the fare, photos, by newspaper illustrations and affiery. For the Illustrated War News, December 30, 1914, Part 21 of our submarines in the Dardanelles had simply been the victim of a leak, but so serious was this little rift within the loot that its author, Loot, Commander Holbrook, R.N. was awarded a V.C. for his splendid deed of daring a very different kind of act from the German bombardment of undefended towns on our east coast, which caused our first Lord of the Admiralty to write to the Mayor of Scarborough and his words deserve to be here repeated and recorded that nothing proves more plainly the effectiveness of British naval pressure than the frenzy of hatred aroused against us in the breasts of the enemy. Their hate is the measure of their fear. Whatever feats of arms the German Navy may hereafter perform, the stigma of the baby killers of Scarborough will brand its officers and men while sailors sail the seas. Illustration, 
a German island added to the empire by the Australian forces, reading the British proclamation at Arabia Ewell, N-E-U-P-O-M-M-E-R-N. The Australian squadron arrived at Herberkshuhi, Newcomen, on September 11th. After some fighting, the Germans surrendered, and, two days later, the Union Jack was hoisted at Rabaul, the German capital. The proclamation was read by Major Francis Heritage facing Colonel W. Holmes, the central figure in the photograph. For the benefit of the natives an address was given an amusing pigeon, English see the Times. November 16th, Newcomen formerly New Britain is just east of New Guinea. Other attempts at frightful frightfulness on the part of these baby killers were a couple of aeroplane raids of which the base was probably Ostend carried out on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day respectively against Dover and Sheerness. It must be owned that they were decidedly daring, yet in the nature of damp squib affairs, as it turned out, in the case of Dover, the bomb dropped was probably intended for the castle a pretty conspicuous target, though all it did was to disturb the soil of a cabbage garden, and excite the pursuit of several of our own aircraft, which lost their seaward soaring quarry in the fog brooding over the channel, while in the case of the Sheerness Invader, on Christmas Day which made its appearance just as the visitors at something over the water were about to sit down to their turkey and plum pudding little dreaming of the extra dish of enjoyment which was thus to be added to their menu it was at once tackled, as at Dover, by some of our own airmen and pelted with shot, being hit three or four times, though this aerial intruder also managed, in the mist, to show a clean pair of heels, or wings, and make off eastward. These were the German replies to our bomb-dropping raids on Dusseldorf and Friedrichshafen, and intended to be a foretaste of what we may expect in the shape of German frightfulness, as prompted by the insensate hatred referred to by Mr. Churchill. Daring enough in themselves, those German visitations seemed insignificant by comparison with the raids which were being carried out almost simultaneously on the other side of the sea by our own naval airmen. For while the German aeroplanist was helping to dig a cabbage garden at Dover, one of our squadron commanders R.B. Davies, R.N. from Amoris Farm and Biplane was much more profitably engaged in dropping a dozen bombs on a Zeppelin shed at Brussels causing clouds of smoke to arise there from most probably from the flames of the incendiarized airship. The Illustrated War News, December 30, 1914 Part 21 5 Illustration, The Air Raid on German Warships off C.U.X.H.A.V.N. British Seaplanes sisters to those which took part in the brilliant exploit. The seaplanes came into great prominence, for the first time during the war, on Christmas Day, when seven of them attacked German warships lying in Schillig Roads, off Quixhofen. The attack started from a point in the vicinity of Heligoland, and the aircraft were escorted by a light cruiser and destroyer force, together with submarines. The enemy put up a fight by means of two zeppelins, three or four bomb-dropping seaplanes and several submarines. Six out of the seven pilots returned safely. Three were re-embarked by our ships, and three were picked up by British submarines. Flight Commander Francis E.T. Hewlett, RN was reported missing. In our first photograph a seaplane is being conveyed to her parent ship, in the second and third, seaplanes are being hoisted aboard. Photos, by SNG 6 The Illustrated War News, December 30, 1914. Part 21 But that was nothing to the Christmas Day feat of seven of our seaplanes one for every day of the week which, accompanied by light cruisers and destroyers, with several submarines, made a daring and unparalleled attack on Cookshofen, at the mouth of the Elbe, and several warships lying at anchor there unparalleled, 
by reason of the fact that this was the first combined assault of all arms known to the sea namely, from the air, the water, and from under the water, both at Yarmouth and Scarborough the German bombarding cruisers were so nervously afraid of being caught in the act that they may almost be said to have only fired their guns and then run away again, but our triple flotilla at the mouth of the Elba spent a deliberate three hours in the performance of its task, and then calmly withdrew with only one of the daring pilots missing, so far, it was the most thrilling episode of the war, and must give our enemies furiously to think, in addition to furnishing them with much more for the nourishment of their hate, of this insensate hatred against us in the hearts of the German people and all because we have queered their pitch, or crossed their long-cherished schemes for the destruction of our empire the most furious exponent is the Kolomiske Zeitung, or Cologne Gazette, as we generally call it which may be described, on the whole, as the most authoritative organ of the fatherland or the times of Germany, but always with a difference. The curious anomaly is that the seat of this powerful journal should be so far away from the capital at Cologne. There is an old story known to tourists who read their guidebooks about the three kings of Cologne, but now this story has just received a pendant which gives anything but satisfaction at Cologne itself or anywhere else in Germany. Illustration, much used against South African rebels, a truck of an armored train, at the Eloian Armored trains worked by the South African Engineer Corps have done full service in the operations against the rebels. The truck in the photograph, it will be seen, is loopholed. This was the recent meeting, not at Cologne, but at Malmo, of the three kings of Scandinavia Denmark, Sweden, and Norway who lunched, and dined, and debated together for several days. When it was at last announced to the world at large and Germany in particular that their deliberations had not only consolidated the good relations between the three northern illustration, men who undergo great hardships in their pursuit of rebels, a bivouac of South African loyalists, our correspondent writes, after a long chase they find themselves very often 40 miles from the convoy, nothing to eat for man or beast, and in a country destitute of food. Illustration, where, regiments had been raised as if by a wizard's wand, General Smuts speaking at Johannesburg. General Smuts, South African Minister of Defense, said recently that there had been a magnificent response to the call to arms. On the Rand regiments had been raised as if by a magician's wand. The Illustrated War News, December 30, 1914 Part 21 7 Illustration, Amenities of Mole Warfare Asadii Arised. A French C.A.R.I.C.A.D.U.R.I.S.D. skit on the luxuries of life in the trenches. Both the French and British troops have made the best of things in the siege warfare of the trenches, and out of an initial condition of misery have managed to evolve a considerable amount of comfort in many parts of the front. Ingenious French engineers, for example, have constructed warm shower baths, hairdressing saloons, and similar conveniences. While the British eyewitness was able to write recently of our own lines, the trenches themselves are heated by braziers and stoves and floored with straw, bricks and boards. Behind them are shelters and dugouts of every description most ingeniously contrived. The above French cartoon, which is from La Vie Parisienne, is headed, La Guerre de Stouves et de Stopes, Moles. 8 The Illustrated War News, December 30, 1914, Part 21 Kingdoms but that an agreement had also been reached concerning the special questions raised, a result which must have been anything but agreeable to the warlord of Potsdam, who had been thirsting for Weltmacht, or world dominion, and casting about to pave the way for this result by absorbing the minor states of northern Europe as a shark would open its voracious jaws to swallow down a shoal of minnows. 
or other small fry. That this was a prominent plank in the platform of German policy must be clear to all who have read the diplomatic revelations of the last few months, but now the three kings of Scandinavia, going one better than their storied colleagues of Cologne, had shown that they are as obtuse to the blandishments of Berlin as the journalists of New York and Chicago. Illustration, typical of those used by German aircraft during the war, a bomb recently dropped from an Aeropiolani into a Warsaw. German aircraft have lately been active in the neighborhood of Warsaw. The great objective of the German Eastern Armies. Our photograph shows a bomb after it had fallen into the city. Photograph by Illis. Bureau. According to all accounts, the Allied position in the West, especially the British section thereof, is as safe as the Bank of England. To use the words of one of our officers already quoted, and though the Kaiser, recovered from his illness, has again returned to the front or, at least, the distant rear of the front he does not seem to have much refreshed the offensive spirit of his armies. Nevertheless, the French communiques have suffered from no great diminution in the daily records of sporadic trench fighting all along the Allied line fighting of a fluctuating, if on the whole favorable, kind for the strategic plans of General Joffre, as to whom, one German officer in Belgium said that he wished to God his country had such a warlord, seeing that, apart from Marshal Hindenburg, all their generals were only worthy of disdain. In a telegram to his aunt, the Dowager Grand Duchess of Baden, only daughter of the old Emperor William, the Kaiser gave God alone the glory for a grand victory which was supposed to have been achieved by Hindenburg over the Russians in front of Warsaw victory which caused Berlin to burst out into bonding and praying and comparisons to Salamis and Leipzig in its momentous results. But this acknowledgement of the Kaiser to the Lord of Hosts, our old ally of Rosebuck, which must surely have inspired Hindenburg himself with a feeling of jealousy and sense of soreness turned out to have been altogether premature, and of the nature of shouting before they were out of the wood. For a fortnight or so the fighting in Poland continued to be of a very confused kind, the telegrams from both sides being most contradictory, but on the whole the advantage seemed to remain with the Russians, who recorded their victories in very striking figures of killed and captured during their defense of several rivers tributary to the Vistula on its left bank. Hindenburg the redoubtable the only general worth the rap or a dam, as Wellington would have said, according to the German officer already quoted promised to let the Kaiser have Warsaw as a Christmas present, but, according to all present appearances, he is no nearer the capital of Russian Poland than his comrade von Kluck who was now said to have been superseded was to Paris on the day of his being tumbled back from the Marne. S.C. London, December 28, 1914. S.C. Illustration, a princely Indian gift, motor ambulances presented to the king for the forces by the Maharaja S.C.I.N.D.I.A. of G.W.A. Liar. The Maharaja Sindhya's munificent Christmas gift for the soldiers and sailors consists of 41 ambulance cars. Four cars for officers, five motor lorries and repair wagons, and ten motorcycles. Photo. Illis. Bureau. The Illustrated War News. December 30, 1914 Part 21 Nine less than three months ago a charming French country mansion amidst its beautiful gardens and park. All that remained at Christmas of the Chateau of Vermils is the shell here shown. Fate made the chateau, with the small adjoining village. For upwards of eight weeks a disputed tactical point between the Germans and the Allies. A narrow strip of only 150 yards of ground intervening between the trenches. The Germans held Vermils from October 16th until early in December. Fortifying the chateau and grounds. They had to be shelled out by October 21st. The chateau was only smoldering walls. 
and French engineers were mining approaches to it. Then an English heavy battery bombarded Vermelles. Finally the French, in a very brilliant attack, stormed and took Vermelles, village and chateau. 10 The Illustrated War News, December 30, 1914, Part 21 The New Sultan of Egypt, Prince Hussein Kamal, is 60 years of age and the eldest living prince of the family of Mehmet Ali, the historic liberator of Egypt from Turkish domination. For years past, as head of various administrative departments in Egypt, he devoted his energies to improving the lot of the natives, by whom he is called the father of the Philippine. General Oscar Poshier commanded the Austrian army invading Serbia, elated at occupying Belgrade without firing a shot. He promised his imperial master at Vienna that in a fortnight Serbia would be conquered. A field marshal's baton and the highest Austrian military decoration were bestowed on him. Within a week Poshier's army were fugitives. The field marshal is to be court-martialed. The Illustrated War News, December 30, 1914 Part 2111 on September 15. The Prime Minister announced in the House of Commons that he had asked the Home Secretary and the Attorney General to take such steps as seem best adapted to provide for the investigation, from evidence obtainable in this country, of accusations of outrage and breaches of the laws of war on the part of Germany. This committee is constituted of the Right Hon, Viscount Bryce, O.N. Chairman, the Right Hon, Sir Frederick Pollock, Professor of Jurisprudence, the Right Hon, Sir Edward Clark. Sir Alfred Hopkinson, Vice-Chancellor of the Victoria University, Manchester, 1919-13, Professor H.A.L. Fisher, Vice-Chancellor of Sheffield University, and Mr. Harold Cox, Editor of the Edinburgh Review, Photos, by Beersford, Russell, Winter, and Elliot and Fry, 12 The Illustrated War News, December 30, 1914, Part 21 Illustration, driven ashore and burnt, the Indian, beached on North Keeling Island, and a boatload of prisoners coming away. An officer of HMAS, Sydney, which destroyed the German cruiser, Emden, off the Cocos Islands on November 9, has given a vivid account of the event in a private letter recently published in the Times. After describing the earlier part of the action, he writes, By now her three funnels and her foremast had been shot away, and she was on fire aft. We turned again, and after giving her a salvo or two with the starboard guns, saw her run ashore on North Keeling Island, so at 11.208 meters we ceased firing, the action having lasted 1 hour 40 minutes. Later, the writer of the letter was sent in a cutter to the Emden to arrange for the surrender and taking off the wounded. From the number of men we rescued i.e. 150, he continues, we have been able to reckon their losses, continued opposite, the illustrated war news. December 30, 1914 Part 2113 Illustration, before they escaped in, a leaking ship, the Indians, landing party, who saw their ship destroyed on Ciosio's Islands, continued, we know the number of men who landed at Cocos and got away, they cannot have lost less than 180 men killed, with 20 men badly wounded, and about the same number slightly, as regards the fate of the German landing party, he says, early in the morning we made for the cable station, to find that the party landed by the Germans to destroy the station had seized a schooner and departed. The poor devils aren't likely to go far with a leaking ship and the leathers removed from all the pumps. It may be that the vessel seen on the right in the right-hand photograph is the one in which they escaped. They had broken up all the instruments at the Eastern Telegraph Cable Station, but those in charge of it had a duplicate set concealed. Photos. My Illustrations Bureau. 
14 The Illustrated War News, December 30, 1914, Part 21 We illustrate here a system of submerged lamps for guiding vessels into port, invented by Anne Leon Dion. It consists of a chain of electric lamps laid underwater to mark the navigable channel, connected by an electric cable controlled from the shore. In time of war, of course, the light would be switched on only when a friendly vessel was signaled. By courtesy of the Scientific American, this method of stopping the inrush of water was tested on the U.S. battleship North Carolina. An American naval officer wrote, Its use will permit us to repair from inside all holes made beneath the water line. Strong pressure is exerted in the hold compartment, slighter pressure, graduated, in those adjacent shaded darker, by courtesy of Popular Mechanics, Magazine, Chicago, The Illustrated War News, December 30, 1914 Part 2115 Illustration, Christmas Day on board ship in the North Sea, the captain going round the messes, tasting the men's dinner, by time-honored naval usage, on Christmas Day, after divine service, on board every ship. The officers, headed by the captain, visit the men at dinner in their messes, which are always gay with seasonable decorations. At the end of each table stands the cook of the mess, to offer the captain samples of the dinner he has prepared. These are tasted by the officers, and, with a hearty exchange of good wishes, the procession passes from table to table. It is stated that the officers of the Grand Fleet collectively subscribe to provide Christmas dinners at home for the children of their men. It is certain that friends at home provided Christmas fare for the crews in the North Sea. Never was there a year when seasonable goodwill and seasonable good cheer were more desirable. From a drawing by S. Begg, 16 The Illustrated War News, December 30, 1914, Part 21 Much has been heard of the plague of German spies at the front, and for excellent reason, they have been as daring as they have been ubiquitous. Here we see a suspect being brought through the French lines after having been found in a suspicious position near our allies' artillery. He is blindfolded, by means of a sack placed over his head, so that he may gain no information en route. Photo, by C.N., the British officer, who is once more showing what a magnificent sportsman and fighter he is in the field, is not altogether neglecting sport as he knows it at home while he is at the front. Already we had heard of hare and partridge shooting near the firing line, and a pack of foxhounds had joined the forces, for the benefit of the Battle Hunt Club. Photo. My photo press. The Illustrated War News. December 30, 1914 Part 2117 Illustration, that Francis Joseph's feet for less than a fortnight, Belgrade since R.E.A.K.N. by the S.E.R.B.I.A.N.s entered by the Austrians. This drawing by a German artist shows General Liboris von Frank riding in front of the standard bearer entering Belgrade at the head of the 5th Austrian Army on December 2nd. As the troops passade the Connacht, the building in the background with a cupola, they sang the Austrian national anthem. General Frank sent the following message to the Emperor Francis Joseph, On the occasion of the 66th anniversary of Your Majesty's accession permit me to lay at your feet the information that Belgrade was today occupied by the troops of the 5th Army. Belgrade remained in Austrian hands less than a fortnight. The Serbians recaptured it after a desperate battle. At Belgrade they placed 60.000 Austrians whores to combat, and from December 3rd to 15 had captured 274 officers and 46.000 men. 18 The Illustrated War News, December 30th, 1914, Part 21 This impressive photograph was taken during the bombardment of Tiesenthal. Germany's cherished Poe.